0: Chapter Twenty of The Golden Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson. Chapter Twenty. Before morning light, Si Maeddine was in his cousin's house. Hesina had not yet called Victoria, but Leila Mabarka was up and dressed, ready to receive Maeddine in the room where she had entertained the Rumia girl last night. Being a near relation, Si Maeddine was allowed to see Leila Mabarka unveiled, and even in the pink and gold light of the hanging lamps, she was ghastly under her paint. The young man was struck with her martyred look and pitied her, but stronger than his pity was the fear that she might fail him, if not today, before the journey's end. She would have to undergo a strain terrible for an invalid, and he could spare her much of this if he chose, but he would not choose, though he was fond of his cousin and grateful in a way. To spare her would mean the risk of failure for him. Each called down salutations and peace upon the head of the other, and Leila M'Barka asked Maeddine if he would drink coffee. He thanked her, but had already taken coffee. And she— All her strength would be needed she must not neglect to sustain herself now that everything depended upon her health. My health, she echoed with a sigh and a gesture of something like despair. O my cousin, if thou knewest how I suffer, how I dread what lies before me, thou wouldst in mercy change thy plans even now. Thou wouldst go the short way to the end of our journey. Think of the difference to me. A week or eight days of travel at most, instead of three weeks, or more if I falter by the way, and thou art forced to wait. Maeddine's face hardened under her imploring eyes but he answered with gentleness thou knowest my kind friend and cousin that I would give my blood to save thee suffering but it is more than my blood that thou askest now it is my heart for my heart is in this journey and what i hope from it as i told thee yesterday we discussed it all thou and i between us thou hast loved and i made thee understand something of what i feel for this girl whose beauty as thou hast seen is that of the Horus in paradise never have i found her like and it may be i care more because of the obstacles which stand high as the wall between me and her because of the man who is her sister's husband i must not fail in respect or even seem to fail i cannot take her and ride away as i might with a maiden humbly placed trusting to make her happy after she was mine my winning must be done first as it is the way of the rumias and she will be hard to win already she feels that one of my race has stolen and hidden her sister for this in her heart she fears and half distrusts all arabs a week would give me no time to capture her love and when the journey is over it will be too late Then at best I can see little of her, even if she be allowed to keep something of her European freedom. It is from this journey together, the long, long journey, that I hope everything, no pains shall be spared. No luxury shall she lack, even on the hardest stretches of the way. She shall know that she owes all to my thought and care. In three weeks I can pull down that high wall between us, she will have learned to depend on me, to need me, to long for me when I am out of her sight, as the gazelle longs for a fountain of sweet water. Poet and dreamer thou hast become, Maedines, said Leila Mabarka, with a tired smile. I have become a lover, that means both and more. My heart is set on the success with this girl, and yesterday thou didst promise to help in return i offer thee a present that is like the gift of new life to a woman the amulet my father's dead brother rubbed on the sacred black stone at mecca touched by the foot of the prophet i assured thee that at the end of our journey i would persuade the marabout to make the amulet as potent for good to thee as the black stone itself against which thou canst never cool the fever in thy forehead then when he has used his power and thou hast pressed the amulet on thy brows thou mayst read the destiny of men and women written between their eyes as a sand diviner reads fate in the sands thou wilt become in thine own right a marabuta and be sure of heaven when thou diest This blessing the marabout will give, not for thy sake, but for mine, because I will do for him certain things which he has long desired and so far have never consented to undertake. Thou wilt gain greatly through keeping thy word to me. Believing in thy courage and good faith, I have made all arrangements for the journey. Not once last night did I close my eyes in sleep, there was not a moment to rest for i had many telegrams to send and letters to write asking my friends along the different stages of the way after we had left the train to lend me relays of mules or horses i've had to collect supplies to think of and plan out details for which most men would have needed a week's preparation yet i have completed all in twelve hours I believe nothing has been forgotten, nothing neglected. And can it be that my prop will fail me at the last moment? No, I will not fail thee, unless soul and body part. Lila Mabarka answered, I but hope that thou mightst feel differently, that in pity. But I see I was wrong to ask. I will pray that the amulet, and the hope of the divine benediction of the baraka may support me to the end i too will pray dear cousin be brave and remember the the journey is to be taken in easy stages all the comforts i am preparing are for thee as well as for this white rose whose beauty has stolen the heart out of my breast it is true thou art kind or i would not love thee even as I should have loved a son had one been given me said the haggard woman meekly does she know that there will be three weeks or more of travelling no i told her vaguely that she could hardly hope to see her sister in less than a fortnight i feared that at first hearing the thought of such distances separating her from what she has known of life might cause her to hesitate but she will be willing to sacrifice herself and travel less rapidly than she hoped. When she sees that thou art weak and ailing, she has a heart with room in it for the welfare of others. Most women have. It is expected of us, Lila M'Barka sighed again faintly, but she is all thou describest to me of beauty and sweetness. When she has been converted to the true faith as thy wife, nothing will be lacking to make her perfect. Hasena appeared at the door. Thy guest, O M'Barka, is having her coffee and is eating bread with it, she announced. In a few minutes she will be ready. Shall I fetch her down while the gracious Lord honors the house with his presence, or... My guest is a Rumia, and it is not forbidden that she show her face to men, answered Hasina's mistress. She will travel veiled, because, for reasons that do not concern thee, it is wiser. But she is free to appear before the Lord Maedin. Bring her, and remember this when I am gone. If to a living soul outside this house thou speakest of the Rumia maiden, or even of my journey, worse things will happen to thee than tearing thy tongue out by the roots. So thou said it last night to me and to all the others, the negress answered, like a sulky child. As we are faithful, it is not necessary to say it again. Without waiting to be scolded for her impudence, as she knew she deserved, she went out to return five minutes later with Victoria. Maeddine's eyes lighted when he saw the girl in Arab dress. It seemed to him that she was far more beautiful, because, like all Arabs, he detested the severe cut of a european woman's gowns he loved bright colours and voluptuous outlines it was only beginning to be daylight when they left the house and went out to the carriage in which victoria had been driven the night before she and leila Mabarka were both veiled though there was no eye to see them as Sina and fafan took out several bundles wrapped in dark red woolen and the negro servants carried two curious trunks of wood painted bright green with coloured flowers and scrolls of gold upon them and shining flat covers of brass in these was contained the luggage from the house meadeens had already gone to the railway station he wore a plain dark blue burnous with the hood up and his chin and mouth were covered by the lower folds of the small veil which fell from his turban as if he were riding in the desert against a windstorm, it would have been impossible even for a friend to recognize him, and two women in their white veils were like all native women of wealth and breeding in Algiers. Heena was crying, and Fafan, who expected to go with her mistress was insufferably important. Victoria felt that she was living in a fairy story, and the wearing of the veil excited and amused her. She was happy, and looked forward to the journey itself as well as to the journey's end. There were few people in the railway station, and Victoria saw no European travelers. Maeddine had taken the tickets already, but he did not tell her the name of the place to which they were going by rail. She would have liked to ask, but as neither Si Maeddine nor Leila Mbarka encouraged questions, she reminded herself that she could easily read the names of the stations as they passed. Soon a train came in, and Maeddine put them into a first-class compartment, which was labeled reserved, though all other Arabs were going second or third. The fan arranged cushions and haikes for Lila M'barka and at six o'clock a feeble, sulky-sounding trumpet blew, signalling the train to move out of the station. Victoria was not sleepy, though she had lain awake thinking excitedly all night. But Leila M'barka bade her rest as the day would be tiring. No one talked and presently Fafan began to snore. The girl's eyes met Simeadine's, and they smiled at each other. This made him seem to her more like an ordinary human being than he had seemed before. After a while, she dropped into a doze and was surprised when she waked up to find that it was nearly nine o'clock. The fan had roused her by moving about, collecting bundles. Soon they would be there and as the train slowed down victoria saw that there was berea this place was the destination of a number of arab travellers but the instant they were out of the train these passengers appeared to melt away unobtrusively only one carriage was waiting and that was for si maeddine and his party it was a very different carriage from lella m'barka's in algiers a vehicle for the country. Victoria thought it not unlike old-fashioned chaises in which farmers' families sometimes drove to Potterston, to church. It had the side and back curtains of canvas which were fastened down, and an Arab driver stood by the heads of the two strong black mules. This carriage belongs to a friend of mine, a siade, Mayedin explained to Victoria. He has lent it to me, with his drivers and mules, to use as long as I wish, but we shall have to change the mules often before we begin at last to travel in a different way. How quickly hast thou arranged everything, exclaimed the girl. This was a welcome sign of appreciation, and Maeddine was pleased. I sent thee Sied a telegram, he said and there were many more telegrams to other places far ahead that is one good thing which the french have brought to our country the telegraph goes to the most remote places in the sahara by and by thou wilt see the poles striding away over the desert dunes by and by dost thou mean to-day asked victoria no it will be many days before thou seest the great dunes but thou wilt see them in the end, and I think thou wilt love them as I do. Meanwhile, there will be other things of interest. I shall not let thee tire of the way, though it be long. He helped them into the carriage, the invalid first, then Victoria, and got in after them. The fan muffled in her veil, sitting on the seat beside the driver. By this time Mr. Knight has my letter, and has read it, the girl said to herself oh i do hope he won't be disgusted and think me ungrateful how glad i shall be when the day comes for me to explain as it happened the letter was in maeddine's thoughts at the same moment it occurred to him too that it would have been read by now he knew to whom it had been written for he had got a friend of his to bring him a list of passengers on board the charles Q on her last trip from marseilles to algiers also he had learned at whose house stephen knight was staying maeddine would gladly have forgotten to post the letter and could have done so without hurting his conscience but he thought it might be better for knight to know that miss ray was starting on a journey and that there was no hope of hearing from her for a fortnight Victoria had been ready to show him the letter, therefore she had not written any forbidden details, and Knight would probably feel that she must be left to manage her own affairs in her own way. No doubt he would be curious and ask questions at the Hôtel de la Casba, but Maeddine believed that he had made it impossible for Europeans to find out anything there or elsewhere. He knew that men of Western countries could be interested in a girl without being actually in love with her, and though it was almost impossible to imagine a man, even a European, so cold as not to fall in love with Victoria at first sight, he hoped that Knight was blind enough not to appreciate her, or that his affections were otherwise engaged. After all, the two had been strangers when they came on the boat, or had met only once before therefore the englishman had no right to take steps unauthorised by the girl altogether maeddine thought he had reason to be satisfied with the present and to hope in the future chapter twenty